Hey, Rockbridge, hope you all are doing well. My name is Matt Evans, one of the pastors on our team. want to welcome you at all of our locations, or maybe somebody tuned you into our website, gave you a CD. We just want to say thank you uh, for being with us, sharing some time with us here at Rockbridge Community Church, one church in multiple locations. And I don't know about you, I'm fired up because we're like literally three weekends or three weekends or so away from Easter, which is like one of the biggest celebrations uh, in the world, in the universe, when Jesus uh, was raised from the dead. And so speaking of celebrations, you know, we, uh, we love great celebrations. Here's a World Series re- celebration, the Kansas City Royals, after they won the World Series, and just look at all the people. And, and we love to celebrate when good things happen to us, or good things happen to our families, or to our teams, or to our nation, or to our churches. Here's another great f- celebration. This is a, a bowl game. You know, when a team makes a bowl game to end their football season, there's parades and there's celebrations in, in regarding the bowl festivities. And then, of course, our nation's birthday on July 4th. We love the fireworks, we love the red, white, and blue, and we love to celebrate. And so there's like this general principle that I think is part of being a human being, and it's not like a Christian principle, so to speak, but it's just like a life principle that when great things happen to us, we sent, we kind of like overflow, right? That the great things happen to us, and we have these emotions, these affections, this excitement, this joy, and it becomes visible it becomes visible in a celebration. It, it, it kind of has to go public. It's like we can't contain the celebration. It just overflows. It comes out of us, and, and we celebrate. And so what, what's going on inside of us becomes visible. And so we, we start a new series today called Overflow, and, and we're going to talk about when this overflow of something that happens to us becomes visible and, and, and go, comes out of us, right? And think about your life for just a second. How many things depend upon or you depend upon that require this principle of overflow to work? Everything from our water supply, which is overflow, right, to your birth or your existence or your creation is an overflow generally of love between your mom and, and your dad, and so there's just a lot of stuff that we do that we have in our lives that depend upon overflow. If somebody sees a great movie and you've heard nothing about it and they word of mouth and share it with you, that's the overflow. Man, I saw this great movie and it was an incredible thing that happened to me when I was watching this and you need to go see this movie. And people's news travels that way of great restaurants, of great movies, of great shows. Things go viral on social media and that's just all this product or, or this principle of overflow at work. Now, I know some of you, you know, you might sit here and say, you know what, I I can't relate to the word overflow. I can relate to the word overload. And that's kind of what your life feels like, that there's more coming at you and more on you than's coming out of you. And and, and really, your life is, is maybe a lack of overflow or just all this stuff on you. And that's why this is a great series as we head into the greatest celebration coming up in a couple of weeks of Easter when we talk about this principle of overflow, and this is really how God longs for us to live our lives. And so we're going to see this in action for the next couple of weeks as we get ready for the Easter celebration. So to, to introduce us to this principle of overflow and, and kind of flesh it out for a little bit in our lives, if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn them on, open them up. We will be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read the first nine or so verses of, of chapter 8, letter by, that Paul wrote to a church at Corinth, and he's going to talk to them 
about this principle of overflow. So we join in with the Word of God from Paul to the church at Corinth, chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. So, so here it is. Something has happened to the churches of Macedonia. We said the principle of overflow is when something happens to us, it overflows, it becomes visible, it comes out of us in some kind of discernible, detectable way. So God has given something that's unearned or unmerited or undeserved, just comes out of the heart of God, we call it grace, and it's going to a group of churches in kind of northern Greece Today, we might call it northern Greece, but of Macedonia. And, and what, what, is the, what, what happened when this grace came out of them or grace hit them? He says, during a severe trial brought about by affliction. So this group of churches in Macedonia had some affliction. Most likely it's uh, extreme poverty due to successive civil wars that had occurred in the region over a period of several, several years. Their abundant joy... And we'll zero in on this phrase in just a minute. Their abundant joy and their extreme poverty, and here's our word, here's our principle, overflowed. Right? It became visible. The joy they felt that was because of the grace of God to them became visible. How did it become visible? It overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So they got their resources, their monies together, and they overflowed and were generous with their money. They were generous with the things that God had given to them. Now, here's what's interesting, is that this emotion of joy results in an overflow of generosity. And so I want to zero in on this adjective that we get in the text, this adjective of abundant joy. See, everybody here today, in many ways, are, are, you, you're looking for something that would give you joy. I mean, we, we, that's a great emotion. That's a great state of being. And so you can kind of look at it like this way, like we, we're, we, we're, the way we're looking at our lives, the way we would frame our existence and frame our lives is we're looking all throughout our world and we're trying to find something that can give us joy, trying to find something that would feed us and give us this emotion, this affection, this understanding, this thing of joy. And so what Paul says is he calls it abundant joy. It's abundant joy. Now, it strikes me that there's probably three types of joy that, that we can kind of dissect out of this. The first might be called like superficial joy. It, it's not really joy in anything significant. It, it's not joy in anything of consequence, but, it is, but it, it's joy nonetheless. It's joy in the fact that, hey, we felt it and we received it, but it's not, it's not going to endure. It's not going to hang around. It's not really of consequence. And then there's like temporary joy, like, hey, the, the weather's great outside. Uh, parents, you know, uh, we, we experience this sometimes when we think, man, this is the last time I'm going to do this with my kid. Or uh, when your kid goes to school, it's kind of like, hey, we've lost that toddler era or that toddler age. And so we realize there was joy in that season, but that season's over. So it's kind of temporary joy. And then Paul gives us this phrase called abundant joy, abundant joy. And, and he's linking the abundant joy that the churches at Macedonia have to the grace that God gave them. So God is simply saying this or teaching us this, that he wants us to have joy in him. So you have had joy in money, and you've had joy in maybe your kids, or joy in this sport, or joy in this event, or joy in this occasion. And God is saying, hey, you know what it's like to have joy in money? 
You know what it's like to have joy at a party or joy in a promotion, but there's joy to be had in me, in God. And this joy is now abundant joy because God is anything but superficial and God is anything but temporary. And so this abundant joy, a couple of things stand out from it in how we've seen it in these churches in Macedonia. It's greater than affliction. It's not circumstantial. So so it's deeper than superficial. It's deeper than temporary. It's greater than affliction. So just imagine for just a second. So many of us, you know, when we, when we try to frame our joy and find joy and find what we're looking for, you know, it, it's joy that's gonna, that can't survive a bad day or a bad economy or a bad health report or a bad relationship. And, and so this joy that this, these churches in Macedonia have, it's greater than their affliction or greater than their own poverty and the struggles that they've had in their, in their, in their, in their region of the world. This abundant joy overflows into decisive action. Now, this is where we got to press ourselves because a lot of us, we're so driven by our emotions and we gauge everything on whether we feel it or not. Uh, and, and hey, do I don't have, how's my gut? What's my gut feeling? Do I feel this or do I not feel this? And what we see about this abundant joy is it actually results in a decisive action. In this case, overflows in generosity. Uh, most likely these churches in Macedonia were given an offering to help some poor churches or poorer Christians in Jerusalem. And then this abundant joy is inexplicable or we can't explain it apart from God's grace. So, you know, if we go back to those pictures and say, hey, why are you celebrating? Why do you have such joy? They say, well, you know, the Kansas City uh, Royals, they won the World Series or our team made the bowl game or, hey, I'm a patriot and it's America's birthday and that's why we have so much joy. The joy that's abundant joy, you can't explain it unless you connect it to God. And, and so it means it's not necessarily of this world. It's not the typical joy of typical human beings in this world. It, we can't explain it. And so when Paul sees these poor, afflicted Macedonian churches giving a generous offering to poor Christians in another part of the world or another part of the Mediterranean area, uh, he's like, I, I can't explain this joy other than the fact that it's connected to God's goodness and God's grace. And, and so this joy has its source, has its roots back to God. And so let's look at this for just a second in Scripture. We see it in John 1.16. We have all received grace upon grace, goodness upon goodness, favor upon favor from God's fullness. And God never runs dry. God never has a depression. God never has a drought. God's wells never run dry. And so when we're tapped into this grace, when we're tapped into this grace, abundant joy and overflowing joy can be the byproduct of our lives. And so think about it. Think about it. All, all of us here, here, we know what it's like when, when our happiness has depended upon something that's not full or can be easily emptied. You know, when we put our joy in money or joy in a relationship that didn't work out or, or, or joy, our joy is attached to the weather or our joy is attached to something that eventually can run dry or run empty. And so there's an offer here that we're talking about of, of who God is and an understanding that from God's fullness, he wants to give us grace upon grace so that we overflow and not empty or not overloaded. See this again in, in the Psalms. How priceless your faithful love is, God. 
People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They are filled from the abundance of your house. Again, they are filled to overflow from the abundance because God's fullness never empties. And he says this, you let them drink. God lets us drink from your refreshing stream for the wellspring of life is with you. The source of life is with you. That results in this thing called abundant joy. So let's, let's peel, the, the, peel the curtain back a little bit and understand how, how God operates the world and how God pours himself out in ways that become a source of life for us and that ways that refresh us to this principle to this, where we see this overflow coming from our lives, all right? So I, I would say this, abundant joy is Trinitarian in nature. Now, let's, let's unpack that because that's kind of a, a churchy theological word. God exists as one God in three, right? Three persons or personalities, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all right? So, if, we ask, if I ask this question, hey, what existed, what existed before the world? What existed before the world? We would say God did, all right? So, God existed, and, and God's perfect, and God, there's nothing lacking God's perfectly happy in his three. Uh, there's abundance there. There's fullness there. There's grace there. But there's love there. And there's joy there that overflows out of the Godhead, we would call it. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And God says, let there be. And he creates a world. And he creates a world that is uniquely suited to support life, our lives. And out of his creative capacity, he plants a couple here in, in what we would call the Middle East. He plants a couple here. And the scripture says they are the apple of his eye. And, and he, he blesses them and he gives them a mission. And, and they're completely and perfectly happy in God, in the world, as God perfectly created it. There's nothing wrong with the world. There's no sin, there's no death, there's no rebellion, there's no pride, there's no ego. Everything is perfect. Everything is perfect. But there's a choice that this couple's presented with. There's a choice that they're presented with. Just don't eat that and enjoy this. Enjoy God, enjoy your purpose, enjoy significance, enjoy creation, it's perfect. And just stay away from this. And so Adam and Eve do what so many of us sitting here have done, are doing, or will do. They're looking for joy. Will it be joy as God created it and God intended it? Or will they choose to try to find their joy in something God had said is forbidden, which is joy and happiness apart from Him? And so now we all know what happened is Adam and Eve opted to rebel against the order that God had created, the life that God had created. They were able to walk with him, enjoy his presence, and they said, no, I'm gonna, I think it's better if we find our happiness and joy over here. And immediately this perfect world that God created becomes imperfect, becomes not as God intended it, and that's where we find the world today. We find cancer today, we find natural disasters today, we find despicable evil today around us, in us, coming out of us, in our thoughts, in our mouths, in our actions, that the world is evil, all because we just said, hey, we'll find happiness and we'll find joy apart from you, God. And that's the condition. And I would say some of us here today, we're like, yeah, you know what, I'm looking for joy, but I've been looking for it in all the wrong places. 
Some of you, you don't even know that it's wrong yet because the apple tastes good to you. But it's apart from God, and it's apart from the world and the, that God created and what he wished for. But God is this three, right? And he's perfect, and he's holy, and he's, and, he's, and he's loving, and he's gracious, and he's merciful. So God, out of the overflow of who God is, he created the world. But out of the overflow of who God is, he also did something else. He said, I don't want to leave my people stuck here. Sentenced to eternity apart from me here. I don't want to live, leave my people in bondage here. I don't want them to have temporary happiness. I don't want them to have superficial joy. I want them to have eternal happiness and eternal joy in me as their creator and now as their redeemer. And so out of the overflow of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is this plan to save the world, to redeem the world. And Jesus says, I'm going to die for their rebellion and sin and all their punishment that, that, that they deserve is going to go on me. And then I'll rise again and regain and re, reestablish and restore the world as God wants it to be. And that becomes what we commonly call the gospel, the good news. And so you and I have a choice. Are we going to find joy in the ways that lead down dark paths of despair? Now, it may feel good on a Friday night or for the first 25 or 30 or 40 years of your life. But are we going to pursue joy apart from God, which does not end well? Or are we going to pursue joy in Christ and the world that he's recreating and restoring. And, and that choice is presented to us in what we commonly call as Christians the gospel or the good news. And the good news is simply this, and this is a great time of the year to refresh this and remind ourselves, it's the revelation of Jesus who came into this world, broken this world, marred by sin, Son of God, King of kings, and Savior of the world. He says, look, I want to reconcile. Uh, there's, there's, there's an estrangement. There's conflict between men and women and God because we have preferred the forbidden source of joy that, 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 that end, ends up resulting in death and destruction and defeat and despair and disappointment. We've chosen this, so we're estranged from God. So Jesus came to reconcile us, and he said, look, I'll buy you out of your slavery. I'll pay your sin debt for you. I'll do all of that on the cross for you. I'm here to redeem you. But Jesus says, look, you have to rely on me for that. You have to rely on me to remove your sin. You can't take care of your guilt and sin problem. I have to take care of it for you on the cross. And Jesus says, look, you can't be good enough or righteous enough. You have to rely upon me and the perfect life I live for you. You have to rely upon me. So we, receive, we rely upon Jesus to remove our sin debt and for his righteousness. And then when we see Jesus as a resurrected or raised back from the dead, King of kings and Lord of lords, ruling over his kingdom and, and going to restore the world as he intended it, that's the good news. And so we have this choice, and it's really a choice of what's going to make you happy for, who's going to make you happy forever? Whose joy never runs dry? Whose joy is bigger and, and longer lasting than superficial and temporary? And we have this choice. And the choice is here or here. Now, when we choose this, when we, and this is the Macedonian churches, back to 2 Corinthians 8. When we choose 
Christ and his rule and his reign and to rely upon him and let him live his life through us, there's an overflow of joy that results in decisive action that is greater than affliction and that traces its source not back to how the stock market was doing or how the economy's going, that traces itself back to who God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, look, I'm going to testify I'm going to talk about this group of Christians and how their joy overflowed. Here's what he said. According to their ability, and even beyond their ability of their own accord, and they weren't forced to do this, they weren't pressured to do this, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. And, and, and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. This group of Christians, because they had such joy in the Lord, such grace from God, they're like, hey, we got to give this money. We've got to give this offering. We've got to help our brothers and sisters in, in this other church that are, that are struggling. And, and so they overflowed because of what God had done in them and the grace that he had given to them. And so it almost seems like in the world now, there's two types of people. There's two types of people. There's people who are living to fill their emptiness or to share their fullness. Two types of people. Now, here's what I, I firmly believe. This is us trying to fill our emptiness with cheap, deceitful, dangerous substitutes to the one that we're supposed to be happy and joyful in, which is Christ, resurrected, King of kings, and Lord of lords. And so what makes a Christian, a true Christian, different from other people is a true Christian is not running around trying to find happiness, trying to find joy. They've been found by God. And being found by God results in grace and joy that overflows. And so they spend the rest of their earthly life begging, begging for the privilege of sharing their fullness. So look at it this way. We are loved with the love of God. That, that's different than human love, which is conditional and fleeting and sometimes temporary and superficial. We've all been hurt by human love, let's admit it. But we're loved with the love of God. That's a cross on a Friday and a perfect man on that cross in our place for six hours. That's, we're loved with the love of God, which results when we receive that, we love God back. And that overflows in how we love others with the love of God. And that overflows and we live sent. And we want to share our fullness. And that, that's what overflow means. It's, just, it's a principle that results from being touched and loved and impacted with the love of God. And so Paul is just encouraging this and, and excited when he sees this in these Macedonian churches. And so he wants to see this result in this church at Corinth that he struggled with historically for, for numerous years. And so here's what he did. He says he sends Titus to Corinth 
with this report of what's going on. And so he urged Titus that just as he had begun, he should also complete among you this act of grace. Now, what's he saying? He's saying, look, you're the church at Corinth. So you're, you're, you're a bunch of Christians. So the same grace that is operating in this generous church at Macedonia, that same grace is in you. God's given, God's given you that grace too. And so you should also share your fullness. You should also love God, love others, and live sin. You should also be begging and looking for opportunities to bless and share the grace that God has given to you. And so he says, Titus, go and, and let's complete this. And he, he completes his thought when he says, hey, just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. He wants to see this generous spirit come out of the church at Corinth, just like it came out of the church at Macedonia. Why? Because Paul knows something about real Christianity. When, real Christi- when you become a real Christian, when you're a church that has been impacted by the grace of God, it shows up. It goes visible. When, you're, when you win the World Series, it shows up in a celebration. When you go to a bowl game, it shows up in a parade. When you celebrate the birth of your nation that you love, it shows up on the 4th of July in fireworks and celebrations and barbecues. When the love of Jesus, six hours on a Friday, hits your heart, and it's not just a fact of history, but it's a reality of your heart, it's going to show up in your generosity. It's going to overflow in how you live your life. So Paul says, excel also in this act of grace that God has given you. Then he says something really powerful, and I, I want us to all zero in on this because we can't miss this truth, okay? He says, I'm not saying this as a command. See, there's a, there's, a, there's a chance that when we talk about this concept, you hear me saying, hey, do better, try harder, do more, do more, do more, and this is just a go and do sermon, go and do, go and do. And, and that's really not it at all because Paul says, look, I'm not saying this as a command. And why is he not saying this? Because... God's grace, listen, listen, listen. God's grace creates what God commands. God's grace creates what God demands. So God says, yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. God says, yeah, bless your enemy, bless those who curse you. But it's His grace that gives us the ability and the capacity to love the way He loves, to forgive the way He forgives. So it's like this, if you're married you don't want to have to go to your spouse and say, hey, love me back. I mean, that, you don't want to have to command love in your marriage. You just want to do love and share love and give love, right? I mean, it would just seem artificial. Like, w- women, you know this. Like, if you have to go to your husband and say, hey, I wish you would love me better. I mean, that's just heartbreaking if you're having to remind your husband. And, and, and sometimes we're clueless, so we apologize. But that, there's something off with that. And so Paul's like, hey, I'm not giving you this as a command. Why? Because he knows if this grace of God, this grace of God has impacted us, has touched us, has filled us, and it never runs dry, eventually it's got to come out of us and how we love others and how we live sin. That's what he's saying. So he's like, I don't have to, com- I don't have to command this because it's a natural or supernatural byproduct of when you've been hit, impacted by the love of God. So I'm not saying this as a command, but rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. So he's like, hey, do you want to know if you're really saved? 
Do you want to know if you've really met Jesus Christ? Do you want to know if he's really active, involved in your life? Then let's just test the genuineness of your love. Is it coming out of you? Is it overflowing? Because it, it would just be unimaginable. Like let's, let's, Most of us, maybe, I don't know most of us, but I'll, I'll just go here. A lot of us are Braves fans, right? Or Falcons or Titans. You know, pick your team, right? But let's just let's stick with the Braves since it's or, you know, opening days happening, all that kind of stuff, right? If the Braves win a World Series, put it on your prayer list. If the Braves win a World Series and the city of Atlanta stayed, was like, eh, we ain't got anything to celebrate. No party. Yeah, it's no big deal. We'd be like, what? That doesn't make any sense. It's the World Series. You hold a parade. You hold a concert. You do something. That's what Paul's saying. Jesus died in your place. Jesus paid your debt. Jesus bought you out of slavery. Jesus loved you when you said, I'd rather, I'd rather do it my way and I'd rather pursue happiness apart from you. And Jesus still loved you when you were finding your joy in the deceitful, disgusting, dead, and in ultimately disappointing sources of joy in the world. Jesus loved you when you were rejecting him and choosing this. Every single one of us. So he said, look, when this hits you, when, when this king becomes r- ruling in your heart and his grace and his love flow through your blood, flow through your DNA, of course it's got to come out of you. Of course you're going to love others with the love of God. Of course you're going to overflow because God's love always overflows. It overflowed. Let there be light. It overflowed. Jesus, my son, go die in their place. It always overflows. So you can check your life. What's flowing out of your life? Is it bitterness? Is it anger? Is it complaining? Is it criticism? Pessimism? Or is it hope and love and joy that's other-directed? John says it this way in 1 John 3, 16, 17. He goes, this is how we have come to know love. Here's true love. He laid down his life for us. It's Good Friday. That's the cross. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods or material blessings and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? It's just natural or supernatural that it'll overflow. It's natural that we have parades and parties and celebrations and fireworks. It's supernatural when God's love hits you and resides in you. Compassion flows out of you. Good deeds flow out of you. So so here's what we do to test this, the genuineness of our love, as Paul calls it. We look for inexplicable actions, and generally those are good deeds and generosity, where I can look at my checkbook and say, does my checkbook reflect that I have been loved with the love of God? I can look at good deeds coming out of my life. Does, do, do my actions inexplicable apart from God's love for me? Inexplicable apart from the cross? Inexplicable. And these all flow from one source. This is not, you know, you can... You can be generous and do good deeds to look good, to feel less guilty, to try to impress someone. And and those are kind of all selfish reasons, right? But when when you've been loved by the love of God, 
It comes from one reason. I have been loved with God's love, and so I beg for the privilege of giving. I beg to do good deeds. I want to give my life away. I want to be a blessing the same way God has blessed me. So I want to ask us all, Rockbridge, all of you, I want to, I want to, let's, let's all of us test the genuineness of our love. That's what Paul says. I mean, he's saying this to a church. Let's test the genuineness of our love. And, and I'll give you four questions, okay? Four questions to test. First question is this, have I forgotten? Is, is this kind of blurry and foggy? Have I forgotten how God has loved me? It's the season of Easter. It, it, it's, it, we're, we're pre-Good Friday. Have I forgotten this? Have I left and lost or, or neglected my first love for Jesus? If so, this is an invitation today to come back, to regain first love. Another option is, is there a restriction? Is there something restricting love from coming out of me? And so I ask you to look inside yourself, and maybe you're bitter. Maybe you're withholding forgiveness. Maybe you're holding a grudge. You got anger. Uh, maybe, I don't know. I, I just look inside, test the genuineness of love. Maybe it's restricted. Maybe, you know, it's like a water hose that kind of gets cramped, right, and, and, the, and the flow's restricted. It's like a clogged artery. Maybe that's it. So, God, I, want, I need to confess it to you. And let God clear that, clear that path. Have I opted for a substitution? Have I substituted? Have I found something in the world that, man, looks good, feels good most of the time? But, you know, I can trace the path out. And I know it's only a matter of time until this is gone. Or it's because it's fleeting. Or only a matter of time until this leads me to that dead end, uh, that disappointment, that destruction. Have I settled for a substitution? And I need to come back to true love where Jesus died in my place. And then the fourth question is this, and let's be honest. Do I even have a connection? Have I even given my life to Christ? Have I let God love me? I know Maybe I know the facts, but I've never opened my heart and given my life to Jesus Christ to be my King, my Savior, my friend, my Redeemer. Have I done? Have, do I even have a connection? If so, right now, you can give your life to Christ right now. The door's open. Now, if, if any of these things are true of you, or, or what does Paul say? How, how does Paul motivate us to deal with these issues? Let me tell you something. He, he doesn't like guilt trip people. He doesn't like, oh, do better. You're going to hell. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't like lock the doors of the church and say, hey, we're going to pass the offering baskets 20 more times until you people finally get generous. He doesn't do any of that. He just points them. He points them to Christ. Listen to what he says, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, he's king of kings, he's in heaven. For your sake he became poor. He gave his life for you. So that by his poverty, his death, when he emptied himself, right, took on our sin debt, gave us his righteousness, you might become rich. He says, look at Jesus. Just look at Jesus. Just look at Jesus. When we look at Christ, we remember. When we look at Christ, we can let go and, and, and unclog those things in our hearts and our minds. When we look at Christ, we realize, man, I have substituted Something for the superior, supreme love of God in Christ. When we look at Christ, we're invited to make a connection. Because what? Though he was rich for our sake, 
he became poor. So that by his poverty on the cross, we might become rich as his sons and as his daughters. So here's how you can become a Christ follower. We have to believe in Jesus, dead, buried, and raised. We have to accept new life and gift of forgiveness. We have to switch. We have to switch. Steering wheel of our lives goes to the Holy Spirit. Steering wheel of our lives goes to God. And we love God back through obedience, which starts with that step of a baptism. Step of baptism. So the invitation is simply this. We remember the gospel. We look at Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and raised. And we reframe our lives. Remember, we're all searching, right? Every single one of us. We're all looking. Where do I find joy? So many of us, we've tried it here. But we reframe our lives and joy around this Jesus. And we let it flow everywhere we go to everyone we meet. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this, uh, this time of year when we are just invited to look back at the cross where your love was most proven, most clear, clearest and demonstrated, most powerfully. God, Lord, I pray right now you'd set all of our hearts and minds and affections. Just let us look at Jesus on the cross. I pray right now, God, you would just connect us to that love through your Holy Spirit. God, I pray for anyone here today who, who, who realizes I do not have a connection with Jesus. And right now, they're saying yes to you, Jesus. They're saying yes to you becoming their Savior, their King, their Lord, their source of joy and life eternal. And we praise you, God, for any and all who are making that choice, that decision today. God, I pray for those of us who, are just leaving, who need to leave behind some substitutes, reestablish and remember our first love. Uh, God, I pray just for people who are confessing things that are restricting your love, the bitterness, the anger, the pride, the jealousy, the envy. God, we're just confessing that and saying, God, clean us out so we can overflow. And your joy, your love can come out of us. God, use this church. May this church be an overflowing church because you, God, have filled us that way with your love and joy in Jesus Christ, whose name we pray. Amen.